it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the water all around the earth, our future is your downfall. Only cut this ball and shame. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds. You claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds. You claim to own our culture and the music that we play. And with each song that we download to your coffers we must pay. You'd even own my name and you'd say it's for the best. Maybe you'll let us on your radio and our songs can pass your test. You own country, you own western, you say you've given us a choice. You may own the airwaves, but you'll never own my voice. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the music all around the earth. Our future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would own everything all around the earth. Future is your downfall. Only cut this ball and shame. You who sacrifice the public good for your private gain. Oh yeah, don't sacrifice the public good for your private gain. We're hearing a lot about that lately. Support for KZYS comes from our members of Mendocino Transit Authority. The latest research shows that public transit can be used safely during the pandemic. Every day, Mendocino Transit Authority cleans and sanitizes buses following CDC guidelines and requiring face coverings. Schedules can be found at MendocinoTransit.org or by calling 1-800-696-4MTA. You're counting on transit and we're counting on you because we're all in this together. So welcome to Corporations in Democracy. I'm Annie Esposito here with Steve. What's up, Steve? Well, uh, this is a voice that uh, listeners haven't heard for several months since July sometime, but I am back. So the opinions expressed on Corporations and Democracy are those of our guests and the hosts and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. And good afternoon and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for November 12th, 2020. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Uh, preparing today's program, uh, this is nine days after the general election, we did not lack for subject matter. But we decided to split the program into two halves, looking in the second half at uh, what is known so far about the fundamental integrity of the election. And we'll be discussing that with Harvey Wasserman a longtime writer and radio host for Election Integrity, and who's been our guest here on Corporations and Democracy a, a few times over the last decade. But first, in the first half hour, we'll take a look at the prospects for the Supreme Court, now that its newest member may become the most radical right-wing member. With us to discuss that issue is Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law and former president of the National Lawyers Guild, Marjorie Cohn. Ms. Cohen is also Deputy Secretary General of the International Association of Democratic Lawyers. That's a recognized consultative organization with the United Nations and a member of the Advisory Board of Veterans for Peace. Her most recent book is uh, Drones and Targeted Killing, Legal, Moral, and Geopolitical Issues. But in September and October, she published a couple of articles, uh, or authored a couple of articles that were published online on the topic of today's program. So let's look at 
Will the new Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett become the most radical right-wing member of the Supreme Court? Marjorie Cohn, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thanks for having me, Steve and Annie. Yes, thank you so much. Um, there's so much going on right now, we can hardly catch up with ourselves. And so thank goodness we have you to help. Uh, so uh, we're going to get into the Supreme Court, and peripheral to that is an article that you just wrote this week that is in Truth Out. Um, Trump's frivolous lawsuits are the tip of the iceberg in his refusal to concede. And that sounds kind of scary. So why don't we start with that? I'm sure that'll over overlap with the court. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> do you want me to tell you about it? Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, what are the main points that you made in your re recent articles? Well, what, it, what Trump has been doing for months is mounting a concerted strategy to preemptively discredit the election results by spewing unsupported allegations of voter fraud um, with mail ballots. He knows that primarily Democrats will be voting by mail because he's been telling his minions to vote. Uh, he told his minions to vote on Election Day, and they, they obliged. And um, so he had a strategy that he would declare victory on election night when the in-person voting results were in, and he was leading, and that is what happened, and then cast doubt or try to cast doubt on the mail-in ballots that would then trickle in afterwards and be counted uh, after, and, and many of those results didn't come in uh, on election day night. And so he has been mounting these allegations of massive voter fraud, even even though there is no evidence of massive voter fraud. In fact, his attorney general, William Barr, said after the election that there was no massive voter fraud. Um, nevertheless, Trump pressured him, and on Monday, Barr told prosecutors, he issued a directive telling prosecutors that they should... Um, <clears throat> investigate um, voting irregularities, in other words, substantial allegations of voting and voter uh, vote tabulation irregularities. Now, Trump um, tweeted and issued several statements saying, I won, I got the most votes, and in secret these votes are coming out for, for Biden. And there was nothing secret about it. There were both Democratic and Republican poll watchers that were witnessing the count. And so what Trump has been doing is filing, he and the Republicans um, have been filing lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits, and in the legal profession when a lawsuit doesn't have we call it frivolous. That's a legal term. Frivolous lawsuits, um, many, many of them, to try to not overturn the election because these involve technicalities and the ones that are a little more substantive involve very small numbers of votes, not enough to change the outcome. But his strategy is to sow so much doubt about the election that it would push Republican legislators in certain states to 
basically get around or try to get around, I would say illegally, um, the electoral college system where in virtually almost every state the electoral votes are awarded according to who won the popular vote. And But there are procedures um, in the 12th Amendment and Article 2 of the Constitution says that um, state legislators decide how the electoral votes are allocated. And so if there's enough um, enough tarring of the results by these unsubstantiated allegations of voter fraud, then that would give Republicans in some of these states um, political cover to say, we can't trust the results of the popular vote, and so we need to send our own electors to the Electoral College, and those electors would, uh, would go for Donald Trump. Um, and that's what seems to be happening, what I call an attempted electoral coup. Um, the, and ultimately, this may get to the Supreme Court, and Trump made, made it very clear that he wanted Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court basically to hand the election to him. And uh, we don't know what she will do, but we do know that in one case in Pennsylvania, um, Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas looked like they would have gone along with the Republicans and Trump in saying that the ballots that came in, the mail ballots that came in uh, by, by Election Day, well, they were mailed by Election Day in Pennsylvania, but didn't arrive until the 6th three days later uh, because of problems with the, the Postal Service, etc., should not be counted, even though the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had said that those were legal ballots. And so twice the Republicans went to the Supreme Court to get them to stop counting those ballots, and uh, twice they, they refused. And uh, so, But again, Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas left open the possibility that they might revisit this issue after the election. The thing is, though, quite frankly, there aren't enough votes, even if the Supreme Court were to agree with Trump and the Republicans on this particular issue. There are not enough votes to change the outcome of the election. So, they, so then the other thing that's happening is, um, and, and I should say that um, there had been conflicting messages coming out of Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania, you'll recall, put Biden over the top. Um, shortly after Election Day, the top Republican in the Pennsylvania State Senate, Jake Corman, um, said his party would follow the law in Pennsylvania and, uh, and basically uh, allocate the electoral votes based on who won the popular vote. But on Tuesday, Republicans in the Pennsylvania legislature said they wanted to investigate these allegations of voter fraud, um, even though there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Um, the Republican-led legislature in Michigan is also investigating the election, and Republicans in Wisconsin. And in, in, it, in Pennsylvania and Michigan, Trump's campaign is trying to block officials from certifying the results. Um, federal law says that as long as election results are finalized by the 8th of December this year, the result is conclusive. But what Trump
Trump is trying to do with all of these frivolous lawsuits is to drag out the process and say, we have to litigate all these issues of voter fraud. Um, and states are going to start certifying their vote totals in less than 10 days. Um, now, another little wrinkle on this is that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nevada all have Democratic governors who oh. would refuse to approve Trump electors if they didn't rep- represent the popular vote. Um, and uh, But the uh, legislatures, the Republican legislatures, would say, we don't, the, the governor doesn't have a veto. We can do it under the Constitution without the governor, and that's what could get to the Supreme Court. Um, it could end up uh, in the, the House and the Senate. It could end up in the House under the Article 2 and the 12th Amendment. The House, and you might think, well, that's fine. The House has a majority of Democrats. It's not true mm-hmm. uh, that that would happen because it's one state, one vote, and there are more red states than blue states because the blue states have higher population, uh, more population. So then, let me just say one other thing, and that is that meanwhile, Trump um, fired Esper, uh, who is the Secretary of Defense. Um, Esper opposed using the Insurrection Act against protesters in the uh, demonstrations against white supremacy on June the 1st. Um, Trump gave, Trump and Barr gave an order to use chemical weapons against peaceful protesters in Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C., to basically clear the way for Trump's um, photo op with his holding the Bible in front of the church. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump knows that if his Republican minions, and he has McConnell and, and Lindsey Graham and a lot of Republican leaders on board with this election theft, this attempted election theft, if they did succeed in getting the Electoral College, um, you know, in, in taking those votes away from Biden and certifying Trump electors, there would be a popular uprising. I think there'd be a general strike, quite frankly. And uh, he wants um, he wants people loyal to him, at least in the civilian uh, part of the Defense Department, to uh, to use force against those protesters. That's, that's my opinion. Now, there is an, still another wrinkle, and that is, will the military follow these illegal orders under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Service members have a duty to obey lawful orders, but they also have a duty to disobey unlawful orders mm-hmm. and an order to um, clear out protesters, crack heads, use chemical weapons, shoot rubber bullets at protesters who are protesting the illegal stealing of the election by Trump would be an illegal orders, and, and many military leaders have already said they would resign before they do that. So um, we do. it does not look like a peaceful transfer of power here, um, and there's going to be a million MAGA march this weekend so that uh, Trump can inflame his um, automatic and semi-automatic weapons toting uh, goons to get into the streets, and uh, all hell could break loose. So it's not a, a, a good situation. Let me summarize something there. That uh, it, There are three swing states here that could go the other way 
in this in this process and in, in, in trying to steal well, we election, don't know if that'll least, happen but that's what trump is trying to get to happen yeah. but trump needs not just one state uh he needs several states because he's so behind in the electoral votes and this is a long shot but on the other hand it's so polarized and 70 percent of republicans think that the election results were not fair because of all of trump's um lies that mm-hmm. have been going on for months about voter fraud um, that uh, that you know this may give uh, these Republican legislatures in those states, um, as I said, political cover to steal those electoral votes from Biden and vote them for Trump. And again, it could end up in the Supreme Court and it could end up in the streets. Mm-hmm. Now, the states to keep an eye on, though, I, th- I believe are Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, which are all, right. I believe, uh, Republican-controlled legislatures and all all Republican governors, all three of them. Too, is that right? Democratic governors. Democratic governors. Okay, but, yeah. but they would not be able to overrule that then. That, well, that's we or don't know whether we they would. That, I mean, that, that would be a Supreme Court issue potentially. Supreme okay. Court, and uh, we don't know what the Supreme Court would say. And you know, the Supreme Court is now six to three. And I know this is leading into our mm-hmm. discussion of Amy Coney Barrett, but it's now six to three right wingers. Although um, John Roberts, Chief Justice John yes. Roberts, mm-hmm. has a very strong institutional incentive to maintain the, the legitimacy yes. of the yes. Roberts Court, which mm-hmm. is why he has uh, voted with the liberals in some of the of these cases um including the affordable care act case uh in you know the the last affordable care act case so um and then the question is what will barrett do and will um gorsuch and uh, and kavanaugh go along with this theft as well mm-hmm. can roberts prevail upon them to do the right thing we don't know what barrett would do although i suspect she will be a loyal foot soldier uh in in trump's army she and uh Roberts and I believe Kavanaugh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, were uh, on the Bush team during Bush versus Gore in 2000, uh, where the Supreme Court handed the election to George W. Bush. And by the way, I just learned that a year later, they actually counted those 500-some votes in Florida, which uh, the Gore forces were trying to get a recount, and the Florida Supreme Court said, yes, let's recount them, and the U.S. Supreme Court said no. Um, and so Gore really did win that election. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's to concede. But I, I uh, reviewed the. I didn't that. I reviewed the article, which is Bush v. Gore, in uh, in Wikipedia of all places last evening, and and it's in there. Uh, if only a few of the counties were recounted, then Bush would have still won. But if the recount for the for the state was done, then Gore would have won. That is. Uh-huh. No. Yep. Very interesting. Wow. So the Trumpers have been working very hard to get us surrounded in all these different aspects. And um, we've just heard a really good description of all the things that are happening right now this week in that case of of the Trumpers trying to surround us and steal the election, basically. And we're hearing this from an expert on the subject, Marjorie Cohn. And uh, this is something that we bring to listeners here on KZYX. And and thank you, Marjorie, for being with us. Uh, You're one of the experts that we count on to help us figure things out. And we appreciate so much your being here. And this is a, a moment of the year when we are going to ask our listeners to help out too 
And uh, we all help in our way. Uh, Steve and I, we have ways of donating on time and money. And we hope you'll develop your own eccentric way to help the station. Maybe you're having trouble now in the pandemic like a lot of people are. And maybe you're not. Maybe you've got it together in spite of all of this. Then please pass on the, those goodies to other people, including KCYX. Please, indeed. This is the second day of the flash drive, which followed the quiet drive, which has been going on for some weeks now. And so here we are. In the uh, the pandemic pledge drive, and if you're listening to the program and have not yet donated to support KZOX, please go to the phone and do so at this time. Uh, I would love to get uh, donations of uh, ten dollars a month is wonderful if you can afford it, and otherwise, uh, you know, in the pieces of fifty or hundred dollars, if you can chip those into the station, we would certainly appreciate it. And the way to do so is to dial in at 895-2233 or you can go to kzyx.org on the internet and just choose the big red button to donate via the uh, via online. Oh, and we do have a challenge to help us along here. Thank you so much to Anonymous of Greenfield Ranch. Thank you. So we have $180 on the table for people out there to match. 895-2233 or kzyx.org or even... Post Office Box 1, Philo 95466. And we do have our first donation that came in very early in the program, so please add to that as best you can, 895-2233 or kzyx.org, and help us stay on the air and keep our equipment running so we can bring this kind of program to you and keep you informed of what's really going on in the election, <laughs> in this case, and in the Supreme Court. And our legal expert on the air with us right now, Marjorie Cohn, she is going to help introduce us a little bit to the newest member of the Supreme Court, which, oddly enough, Trump even said he wanted on there so that she could rule in his favor. So what do we know about uh, Barrett? Well, we know, I believe, that she is to the right of the other right-wingers on the Supreme Court, and that's really saying something. During her Supreme Court confirmation hearing, Barrett refused to tell the senators that voter intimidation is illegal, that armed poll watchers are intimidating, that voter discrimination exists whether the president could deny someone the right to vote based on race or that Congress has a constitutional duty to protect the right to vote. She refused to say that Medicare is constitutional, that married couples should not lose their right to contraception, that a black worker who was repeatedly called the N-word was subjected to a hostile work environment, that it's wrong to separate children from their parents at the border, or that marriage equality, the right to consensual gay sex and LGBT workers' rights should be protected. She would not say that human beings are responsible for climate change, and she would not say that the Constitution requires a peaceful transfer of power. So many things are at stake with Amy Coney Barrett on the court. Voting rights, reproductive rights, um, immigrants' rights, workers' rights, LGBTQ rights. Um, She said that Roe v. Wade is not super precedent, which means that it could be overruled. And uh, she has made statements in the past. She signed a statement saying that Roe v. Wade was barbaric, a raw exercise of judicial power. Um, She opposed access to contraception under the Affordable Care Act, calling it an assault on religious liberty. And uh, 
she was asked whether she agreed with her mentor, Antonin Scalia's uh, characterization of the Voting Rights Act as a perpetuation of racial entitlement, she refused to answer. Um, and there is a case on the court's docket that will test another anti-discrimination provision of the Voting Rights Act. It prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race. Um, and there are some uh, 14 abortion cases winding their way through the courts um, that uh, that she might that if the, if they do get to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court accepts uh, decides to review them, um, she may well uh, provide a, a key vote. Um, there is no case that squarely um, asks the justices to overrule Roe v. Wade at, during this term, but there are several cases, these 14 cases, that chip away at the right to abortion. I call it the death of abortion by a thousand cuts. Um, so there are, there are many, many things at stake with Amy Coney Barrett now on the court. She also has a remarkable lack of experience for the job, too, let alone all this uh, preconceived, I guess, originalist. Maybe we probably don't have time to get into what all that is, but I think you you uh, described it pretty well when you mentioned all the things that are at stake here with her on the court, um, all, all the, the rights of just about everybody you could name. Let me ask you if you have any... Um, any insights into what's going on now with the Supreme Court and the Affordable Care Act, which they are now looking at? Yes, they had oral argument in that case, California versus Texas, on Tuesday, two days ago. And it looks like there are five votes to save the Affordable Care Act. Um, the three liberals, the three remaining liberals, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, and Chief Justice Robert and Kavanaugh, um, there is a provision that is called the individual mandate, which requires individuals to have health insurance. But in 2017, Congress um, basically said there's no more penalty if people don't sign up for it. And so the Republicans are saying, several states that are run by Republicans are saying, well, then that provision is unconstitutional and we should throw out the whole act. In other words, that unconstitutional, so-called unconstitutional provision, the individual mandate, um, cannot be severed out of the rest of the Affordable Care Act, so the whole act should fall. But it looks like Roberts and Kavanaugh will go along with the three remaining liberals, at least from what they said pretty, pretty clearly during oral argument, and find that even if that provision of the individual mandate Date is severable from the rest of the act, uh, is unconstitutional, that it can be severed or separated out from the rest of the act, and the rest of the act would remain. And of course, we know that tens of millions of people stand to lose their health care or lose protection uh, for pre-existing conditions or lose protection, uh, people up to, kids up to 26, lose protection, um, you know, health insurance based on their parents' policies if the entire Affordable Care Act is thrown out. And I think there have been 70, 70 attempts in Congress to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and it's hanging by a slender thread, but I think at least Cal in California versus Texas, it looks like uh, the Affordable Care Act will 
will survive. And all of that. And Amy Coney Barrett, by the way, uh, asked some questions, but it was not clear what her position was. The other three, uh, Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, would have thrown out the entire, looks like they would have thrown out the entire Affordable Care Act. Not clear what Barrett would do. Mm-hmm. And all of that, of course, during the pandemic with no end in sight. So for all right. those means of people that would lose their insurance, you know, tough luck. But uh, Right. Anyway. We're almost out of time, and I want to urge people to call 895-2233 and support programming like this, where we bring the experts into your radio, right into your parlor, and you can find out what to do about all this stuff. Um, our guest is Marjorie Cohn, and you can find out more from her on www.marjoriecohn.com. That's C-O-H-M, uh, C-O-H-N, Marjorie Cohn, and in the last two minutes we have. What are some of the things that we could do to jerk the court back from the edge from being a Trump court? Well, first of all, it's really it's really important that the two Democratic senators in Georgia uh, win their elections, and this is where a lot of attention is going to be focused now between now and I think it's January fifth, um, because if the uh, Democrats take back the Senate, then uh, uh, President-elect Biden could actually make judicial appointments um, and uh, and try to put a dent in the some 200 uh, judges that Trump has put on the court, on the lower courts. Forget the three on the Supreme Court. Um, the lower courts, these are lifetime appointments, and most of the cases are decided at the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals level. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Roberts, whom I said was really concerned, he's a right winger, but he's concerned with the legitimacy of the Roberts court, um, will hopefully have an influence on Barrett and, uh, in, in some cases, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Um, but uh, if, if things can happen at the lower court level um, and in Congress um, and in, in the popular realm, then hopefully they, the, they won't get up to the Supreme Court. But uh, again, we have Amy Coney Barrett, who's 48 years old, who can spend decades on the court. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we have a 6-3 to three radical right-wing majority uh, on the court right now. So that's, that is, is worrisome. Okay, so we are flat out of time. I want to thank you so much for helping us out to figure this all out today. (laughs) And we'll have to have you back in a couple months because I know there's more coming down. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie and Steve. Bye-bye. Thanks for being with us. Marjorie Cohn. Okay, we're going to take a very, very short break and bring up our next guest, who's Harvey Sluggo Wasserman, and he's going to tell us about uh, what he thinks about the election stuff that's going on right now. He's with uh, Election Protection Group, so we'll be back in just a moment. And uh, don't forget to call 895-2233. I already have uh, 830 in. Thank you so much. Very much. Out of a goal of 1,000, so we're rocking. Thank you, listeners. Rock on.
we are back. Steve, do you have some thank yous there? No, a couple of thank yous. Oh, great. Okay. And one from Thomas. And oh, yeah. Thank you, Tom. And one here from uh, Lewis and Sally, and who said that they really appreciate the reports and in interviews covering COVID and keeping fork folks informed thank you very yeah. much for your donations and we are most of the way to our goal for the uh, the hour one thousand dollars so again uh, we're about to begin the second half of the program but if it, uh, it's a good time to still go in and dial eight nine five two two three three and help us reach our goal for the hour yeah, I want to say amen to that last comment about the COVID coverage. Our program director, Alicia Bales, has been knocking herself out to keep people up to date on all the stuff that's going on. And now, speaking of all the stuff that's going on, there's this this really amazing election. I don't remember. I'm 78 years old. I don't remember anything like this. Uh, we have on the line with us Harvey Wasserman with the election protection people. Thank you, Harvey, for being with us. Well, thank you. I mean, the reason you don't remember anything of an election like this is there's never been one like this. <laughs> Not even close. Never in 200 and how many years has it been now? Well, About 76, so do the math. Yeah. Uh, well, with the current Constitution, it's been uh, 230, I guess. So, uh, yeah, amazing. But uh, but what do you think? The questions are about election in- integrity. A lot of money spent on the election. And so what was the outcome of that? And um, Yeah, did we get our money's worth? They spent, what, $14 billion? No, it's ridiculous. I mean, money's got to get out of politics. Um, and, you know, we, we tried with uh, various, um, you know, regulations after Watergate. Uh, they were all very good, and then the court stepped in uh, for decisions over a period of time, and, and, you know, we're back stuck with money and politics. But election theft is actually a bigger problem. We, I've been dealing with it. I live in, lived in Columbus, Ohio in 2004, and we watched the theft of an election there. John Kerry was really the rightful winner. And um, now, of course, uh, uh, Trump is uh, pledging, <laughs> screaming about election theft. But this was actually... In terms of the process, this was actually the best election in American history. I mean, it was because of the COVID, mm-hmm. we went to vote by mail, which is a great thing. Uh-huh. And it gave us um, paper ballots. And the paper ballots are, are being counted on digital scanning machines. This is a huge technological improvement. And um, it really has given us, in many ways, the most accurate election in U.S. history, uh, ironically, since you have this madman in the White House screaming about it. Yeah, ironically. Uh, I've written about this in my People's Spiral of U.S. History, by the way, mm-hmm. which I'll send free to anybody that wants to donate to your station. Oh, great. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. It'll can... be the PDF. The PDF. Mm-hmm. What happened was, I've, I'm a historian. I've been writing history books for a long time, and um, uh, I wrote my premier final, you know, coup de gras history of the United States. And I finished it this summer, and I had Bernie Sanders marching off to save the world, but that didn't quite happen. So I, I've got to wait till January 20th to make sure we get this lunatic out of the White House, and then I can finish it. But in the interim, I'm happy to send anybody a PDF that, uh, of the book that uh, donates to your station. Okay, people's history. We need that now more yeah, than ever. Appreciate it. So, um, so the pandemic worked in favor of people that have been wanting paper ballots 
countable paper ballots, hand recountable paper ballots for, for, you know, for years, if not decades. And here it is by accident. It happened in the 2020 election. Exactly. You know, there were five states that mailed uh, paper ballots to everybody, every registered voter, mm -hmm. Oregon, Washington, uh, California, uh, well, uh, Utah, uh, Colorado and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then this year, because of the COVID, uh, Nevada and California jumped in. And uh, I'm in L.A., and I got my ba ballot in, in the mail, and I filled it out and dropped it in a box, and that was it. And it's, it's a great way to vote. It's easily trackable. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's much, much better than those touchscreen machines, which were designed to steal elections. Mm -hmm. And you, the way it works then is that you take the ballot and you put it into a scanner, the scanner creates a digital image, and then the ballot itself goes on to, into a bin on the other side. So re, you retain the paper ballots for recounts, mm -hmm. and uh, meanwhile, the digital images can be counted almost instantly. And in fact, that's why Florida's results this year were so quick. It's because almost all the ballots in California were on paper. They're all digitally scanned, and they, um, you know, and took like uh, 10 minutes to do most of them. Mm -hmm. Same in the, in the other states that I just mentioned. That with the paper ballots and digital scanning machines, you get a very quick and accurate result. And that, uh, I'm spending the next four years uh, of my life to really dedicate it to election protection and revision. There are quite a few things we can do to the system, but that is the core. And, and uh, that has radically changed. The other thing that changed, by the way, with the COVID, is that we've had a, a massive generational changeover in poll workers mm -hmm. because this year for the first year people i'm 74 and i I'm, i wasn't going to go poll, <laughs> but uh, you know after the george floyd marches um there was a time you know this moment of where you hold your breath and it didn't seem like we were going to have enough poll workers because the you know the older folks weren't kind of going to come out and then all of a sudden there was this massive influx of millennials oh, wow. and even zoomers generational z kids mm -hmm. you know a lot of the um election boards were allowing uh, young people under the age of 18 who weren't eligible to vote but could vote uh could work the polls mm. so you had about 15 16 17 year olds working the polls along with the the general gen zers and the and the uh, millennials it's, it's a massive change and it's really a great thing for young people to have worked the polls because it really, you know, gets them conscious of the electoral system. Mm -hmm. That's dynamite, yeah. So we had we had two good things happen. Well, actually, you said the third, that uh, the use of big arenas for voting, that that somehow... That yes, that, that too. What happened was the Atlanta Hawks, and I don't know how it happened, but the Atlanta Hawks came forward and, and said that you can use our NBA arena, which holds, I think, around 20 grand, 20,000 people, um, as, a, as a, a voting center. And those arenas, we wound up with uh, 20 NBA arenas and a couple of football stadiums, NFL stadiums, being used for voting centers, and they're perfect. Because, you know, people can go in, take a number, sit down. There's, uh, there's no guns allowed. That's the big one. Uh, out of the weather, <laughs> uh, you know, facilities, food, mm -hmm. the whole deal, you know. I mean, and it worked yeah. great. Food, restaurants. So in the future, uh, also everybody knows where they are. And there's plenty of parking. So it's an ideal situation, actually, and that really happened this year, too. Okay. On the Florida issue, back to that for a moment, uh, so no evidence it was stolen this time. Well, you know, we're, um, <laughs> we're not convinced entirely. We, we think that 
there may have been some problems. One of the things about the digital scanners is that they have to be pre-programmed, and if they have a um, connection to the Internet, they can be hacked. And a lot of them were connected to the Internet, and they're not being transparent about uh, the um, the programming, the pre-programming, and they're not uh, retaining the digital ballot images. A lot of the counties in Florida, for no reason whatsoever, uh, just discarded the digital ballot images, which can be saved, you know, no problem. Mm-hmm. You have to actually work to get rid of them as opposed to keeping them. So we had those issues, but it, it was still, you know, better than better than most uh, mm-hmm. in, in Florida this year. And um, the big question in Florida is voter registration, and that's something we really have to work on. Mm-hmm. Now, this year, according to a federal agency, 16.5 million people were stripped from the voter rolls before the election. And, you know, there is some legitimacy if people die, for, for example, or, or move and don't re-register, things like that. But uh, we, we need to clean up uh, and scrutinize the registration rules. And that's going to be an issue in, in Georgia mm-hmm. in the upcoming election, is mm-hmm. how many people are going to be stripped from the voter rolls um, um, illegally or illegitimately. Well, that, that takes me to my next question, speaking of Georgia then. So it's two runoff seats for, for both, uh, both Senate races. Uh, they will, it'll be on January 5th, I believe. Our earlier guest mentioned that. Um, what are the safeguards, not from people being stripped from the roll, but pe- people being added to the rolls from all over the country? You know, what, what will keep that from becoming a, uh, what I, you know, history refers to as bleeding Kansas, you know, when people came in from outside just for that election? Yeah, well, it's going to be a, a real drama. Uh, the only thing that's going to save it is a massive scrutiny and transparency. I mean, I love the fact that the Republicans attacked the Secretary of State. This guy is completely corrupt <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, totally he's the one who really um, got Stacey Abrams, prevented her from being governor, and um, mm-hmm. he's a total uh, Republican flunky, and yet they're, they're attacking him. And um, I don't know, but, you know, everybody's going to have to pour in, and every, every nook and cranny of this election is going to have to be thoroughly scrutinized as they go forward. And I think it will be. I mean, you still got... Stacey Abrams there, and uh, no, there's no surprise there. Everybody knows what's at stake, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, so um, Steve was asking, uh, are there safeguards against outsiders stampeding into the state just in time to register to vote? That's a tough one. It could happen uh, under some circumstances. And, um, you know, it's going to have to be scrutinized, and there will have to be balanced, I suppose. You know, but people are going to really, this one is, George is really going to go uh, succeed or fail based on the registration rules. That's how they defeated uh, Stacey Abrams. They stripped the registration rules. So, but but there's no more mystery here. And she's still there, and she's got, uh, you know, um, uh, knows what to do. And uh, we're just going to have to watch it really closely. I haven't seen writing about that yet, articles about that issue in Georgia for this election. So... Well, Greg Powers covers that issue pretty well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And um, you should have him on to talk about it. Actually, um, uh, he's very familiar with the voter rolls in, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. We did and have, we have a group. Yeah. You might want to. Anybody's welcome. It's called the Grassroots Election Protection Coalition, right? Mm-hmm. Or GREEP. <laughs> and we we zoom every Monday at five p.m. Eastern time, uh, two p.m. Pacific. And uh, anybody's interested, I'll 
send the link. Uh, we've had up to 100 people. Uh, we've been doing it for five months. We had like 25 90-minute calls about the details of election protection. And, of course, this Monday we'll focus very heavily on uh, on Georgia. And people can catch up with you at solartopia.org? Solartopia.org or... So my, my email, people can write me directly, okay. uh, solartopia at gmail.com. And then anything you want to know about election protection, our website is grassrootsep, G-R-A-S-S-R-O-O-T-S-E-P for election protection, uh, .org. And we've got a ton of stuff up there to follow uh, the, our elections. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much. That's right on time. Uh, Steve, did you have another question about... Um about Georgia before we go on? Uh, not for the moment. Um, I had a question back about back on Florida, but any uh, any information uh, in the last weeks about the ex-felon issue in Florida? Remember that uh, to do? And, of course, uh, you know the, the state, the, the pe- good people of the state of Florida, as Trump would say, good people on both sides, uh, voted overwhelmingly to allow ex-felons to have the right to uh, to vote because. During the uh, Jim Crow era, after the Civil War, the, the KKK and uh, the Democratic Party actually went in and uh, said, you, if you've been convicted of a felony, you can't vote. And then they proceeded to charge every black in the state with a felony. And, um, and so this was uh, reversed uh, in 2018, and uh, there were over a million uh, ex-felons uh, prepared to vote, and then the state legislature stepped in. And so, well, you can't vote if you still owe fees mm-hmm. and in many or fines, and in many cases, nobody can figure out how much or how do you pay it off. I mean, it's a clear uh, a power play, and it made a big difference in the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so corrupt. That's unbelievable. And that was the case where ex-Mayor Bloomberg from New York was was donating millions to pay off those fines, so those people could uh, could vote. But yeah, I didn't hear how it went. It didn't go far enough, unfortunately. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, the Democratic Party has yet to master the use of. Of the internet, so you know. <laughs> well, they are. They they're cunning, you know, or the uh, uh, the Republicans are certainly. Um, yeah. So, well, so we go got ahead. some people to thank here. For yeah, a couple the... more people to thank. We are in the middle of our a pledge drive, which uh, I forget if we actually mentioned that to you earlier in preparations for today. But so let's take a couple minutes here to thank. Uh, Callie Morelli, who loves Patrick Gomes and all the programmings yeah. and thinks we are essential radio. Thank you, Callie. And Teresa Raffalo, who also appreciates all the programming here. Thank you for your donations. And we are, in fact, we just hit Yay. our goal for the Yay. day. My goodness. Wahoo. We hit our $1,000 goal. Thank you very much. And that goes past the, um, uh, what was it, the... $180 initial oh, yeah, right, matching yeah. pledge, yeah. and um, goodness. Yeah. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, and, and if you would still uh, like to donate, the number here, 895-2233, to do so by phone or kzyx.org, and hit the big red button, donate button, to do so online. And if you do, our guest Harvey Wasserman will send you a PDF of his new work, the People's History, a spiral history. I guess it, it weaves in and yeah, out. It's the People's Spiral of U.S. History. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book in 1972 that was published uh, with an intro by Howard Zinn, and that was called the uh, Harvey Wasserman's History of the United States. Uh-huh. And then he wrote The People's History of the United States. That's right. Yeah. And then I, now I've written The People's Spiral of U.S. History, and I, 
I wish he could come back to write a counter one, but yeah. I'm okay, that's not going to happen. What yeah. a great guy. You know, I neglected to uh, to plug you in during the introduction to this half of the program uh, that uh, you and uh, your co-author, Bob Trakas, are the authors of the uh, Notorious book, How the GOP Stole America's 2004 Election and is Rigging 2008. Right. Now, that goes back to, you know, uh, some years ago, of course. And we had you on the year back in that era talking about that book. And um, but that is one thing I know you've you've done, and uh, an earlier view at election protection and an election integrity issues. Thank you again for right. that. But uh, well, you're welcome. And our big goal now for the next four years at GREEP, Grassroots Election Emergency Election Protection Coalition. It's named in honor of Richard Nixon's re-election campaign in 1972, <laughs> which was GREEP. So uh-huh. you know we're GREEP now. And we want to, we want, we're working, among other things, to get rid of the Electoral College. That's a big one, but also to get rid of gerrymandering, uh, which is a little more achievable, I think. Uh, you know, we have all these horrible right-wing legislatures which do not represent the public in any way, shape, or form. And uh, gerrymandering is a terrible thing. It dates back to the 1790s, and it's something that we really uh, are going to work to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so blatant to some of those districts. It's pretty obvious what's going on. How do they get away with it? Well, you know the origin of the term. Um, when the Republic was first starting in the 1790s, they were setting up congressional districts. And there was a guy in um, Massachusetts uh, named Elbridge Gary. He, he was a, uh, 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 a judge. And um, he grew these districts to do exactly what they do now, which is to cheat the public. And uh, a, a newspaper man said that they, they looked like salamanders. Uh-huh. So that's how we got gerrymandering. And, uh, and, and ironically, his uh, great-great-great-great-grandson uh, became the first openly gay member of Congress uh, in, the 17, <laughs> in the 1980s. His name was uh, Jerry Studs. Mm-hmm. He was from Cape Cod. Okay, but that's so- where gerrymandering comes from. We think we can get rid of it. Uh, have to probably do it by state referendum and and to put in constitutional amendments to the state constitutions California. Um, uh, it was actually done in california and there's a very good uh state commission in california uh that was in 2006 and 8 that we won by referendum that has a, a very a, it's a not bipartisan it's um nonpartisan commission that draws the districts for the state assembly and for the uh, the congressional districts. So maybe and we want to use that as a model for the rest of the country. Good. So California can export that to the rest of the country. And because what we have now is situations where there's like a majority of Democrats in an area, but it's gerrymandered so that they can't their votes don't count and the Republicans win. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, it's very well very well designed to suit the needs. Uh, of the of the of the two parties, I mean the, the Democrats do gerrymandering too. It's just something that's got to go away. Mm-hmm. And you love, by the way, the the principal funder of the referenda in California that that succeeded in getting rid of gerrymandering. Do you know who it was? Mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they, because he was a Republican and California was dem- gerrymandered by the Democrats. Oh, so okay. he 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 put three million dollars of his personal money into the campaigns to get rid of gerrymandering in California, 
and they succeeded. Accidentally mm-hmm. did us a favor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. You, you said that's going to be easier to end the gerrymandering problem than the electoral college problem. Um, where are we with the electoral college? We're in deep trouble because it will require a constitutional amendment. There is an organization that's uh, at getting states to agree to give their votes, their electoral votes, to whoever wins the popular national vote. I don't know if that would survive the Supreme Court. Um, you know, and to to amend the Constitution, you have to have two-thirds of both houses of Congress assigned by the president and then three-quarters of the states. So it's a very high bar. And, um, you know, uh, I'd like to see the equal, uh, the uh, you know, the EPA come first. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, the Women's Rights uh, Amendment, the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, mm-hmm. um, which was killed at the very end. I mean, they got through Congress, they got the president, they got almost three-quarters of the states, and then they got waylaid. And, uh, you know, we would have to do something similar with the Electoral College, and I'm sure a lot of the smaller states would oppose it. So that's a, that's a high bar. But uh, ending gerrymandering can be done state by state, mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and done by the states without interference from the federal government. So uh, I'll be curious what will be uh, the, the indicating factors of any good news for uh, gerrymandering uh, you know, as the next, well, the next year unfolds, because it begins. Well, the good, the, the good news is we almost always win these referenda. Mm-hmm. The public really hates gerrymandering. Um, but it's a bipartisan hatred, you know. Yeah. And, um, and uh, uh, virtually every public referendum against gerrymandering succeeds. But then we've had, it's happened in Missouri also, the, state leg- the gerrymandered state legislatures jump in and override the public uh, referenda. Yes, so yes. Mm-hmm. the only way to do it really is with um, uh, constitutional amendments on the state level. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, speaking of the Electoral College, um, let me mention something to listeners, and I don't know if you noticed what happened in Colorado a week ago, but um, but Colorado voted essentially to st- reaffirmed its uh, membership in what's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. So that's the deal where the enough states... Right. Uh, okay, so it's, it's actually called that, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Now, uh, Colorado approved this... Uh, the legislature approved it a, a year or two ago, but they're already on that list of it's a you know couple dozen states or that uh, that have joined that. And uh, but there was a initiative to remove for the people to remove Colorado from the compact, and it went down. So Good. they essentially reaffirmed their their uh, membership in that interstate compact. Right. Well, the, we the public hates. Hates the Electoral College and, and hates uh, gerrymandering, and mm-hmm. um, uh, let's see what we can do yeah. over the next uh, four years. We don't we don't want to go into the twenty twenty four election the way we're going into it now, <laughs> and you know it, it is not clear um, what the law really is uh, on on the Electoral College and whether a guy like Trump, a psychopath, could come forward and get the states, his the legislature, the gerrymandered legislatures to override the public vote and send, you know, um, another minority delegation to the Electoral College and stick us with a guy, a guy who's lost the election. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has happened repeatedly in American history. And if you start with the Article 2 
of the Constitution, it says all it says is that the legislatures will choose the electors who will go to the Electoral College and choose the president. Mm-hmm. Now, in between, we've had the, the 12th, the 14th Amendments, the Electoral uh, Choice Act of uh, 1887, the 20th Amendment and the 25th Amendment, but if you add them all up and have a room full of lawyers, you will not get consensus. Mm-hmm. So then it goes, as it did with Bush v. Gore, to mm-hmm. the Supreme Court. Yeah. And in this case, we lose 6-3 to three or 5-4. to four. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's Trump's whole goal. He has not given up this guy. I mean, you know, I don't have to tell you about Donald Trump. And um, if he, he knows that if he can get it to the Supreme Court, he could actually win. Mm-hmm. The question is, can he get it past the states and, uh, and through the federal courts? And up to the big one, and uh, that's not clear. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in the first half of the program, and I, the only person I didn't bring into the conversation was Yogi Berra. <laughs> it ain't over until it's over. <laughs> so and it's and it not yet. It ain't over until the fat lady, or in this case, the Supreme Court thing. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're about over now. We're almost out of time. We only have like two minutes left. I did want to ask you about ranked choice voting because the little town of Albany next to Berkeley just passed that, and I think that's a good sign. But since we only have like two minutes left, maybe... Well, we like it. I like ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, believe, I believe it was Maine or someone in the northeastern states used, was it Maine, yes, Maine used ranked it. choice for yeah. the first time in history for the presidential election, or was it just their senator or something? I forget. I'm not sure, actually, but they do they do have it in some form, which was such a why well, was such a shock that yeah. Susan Collins got reelected. I, I wonder about that. Okay, but you know what can you do? Um, it's a great a great uh, your station is wonderful. People should support it. I'm happy to send them a PDF of my book if you like. And, okay, and I'll offer uh, I'm it to, to be on your show. Okay, I will personally contact everyone that that has donated for, during our hour to see that offer them that PDF file. And yeah, and you can do that by calling 895-2233 or go online at kzyx.org and punch the red button. And thank you, Harvey, so much. Why don't you, Harvey Wasserman, just once again tell people how they can catch up with you. Okay, there's three ways. You can email me directly, solartopia at gmail.com. You can go to my website, solartopia.org. Or you can go to grassrootsep.org for all the election protection information. Okay, and now we are out of time. Thank you so much. We're going to have you back, and we hope we're going to have a a little happier conversation with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure having you. We will indeed. Harvey, thanks. Thank you. And no nukes. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. And we also have one last thank you. That's to Anne and Monty, who picked up on a, uh, a mask for their donation. Thank you for that. And again, 895-2233 if you want to get in on that. And you've been listening to Corporation Democracy. We're here on 2nd and 4th Thursdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Next edition in two weeks with host Linda McClure. Anne and I will be back on December 10th.